Hey guys, Brian Jonas here for another episode of Pick Up the Six podcast. Before we get started today, we've got new gear available over at Pick Up the Six. So just head to our website, pickupthesix.com. I've got three new shirts we just put up this week. I got to be honest with you guys. Look, obviously I'm going to shill the gear, but man, I love these ones. First one is quell the storm and ride the thunder. You've likely heard the famous Teddy Roosevelt quote about the man in the arena. You got to go down a little bit where Teddy talks about these tepid souls and how we have to quell the storm and ride the thunder, which is pretty awesome. So check that shirt out. We also have burn the boats. We know we're big fans of that mindset here. We're going all in. And then lastly, if you were to say, Hey, Brian, tell me a little bit about what pick up the six means to you from a faith component. It's about leaving the 99. It's about that parable of the lost sheep. Now, if you have a hundred and one goes astray, you leave the 99. That's what we're doing here at Pick Up The Six. So go check them out, pickupthesix.com. They're only 20 bucks, guys. Grab a uh, new shirt, support the cause. And like Adam Carolla would say, put a little wind in the sails of this pirate ship that we have going here. Pickupthesix.com. Click that gear tab at the very top. Scoop up one of those new shirts today. My guest today is Steve Gonzalez, better known as Gonzo. He's a retired Navy SEAL who had a bit of an uncommon path to get there. In that, Gonzo is a combat veteran, and his awards include two bronze stars for valor, among many others. And now he's part of a powerful team at Force Blue, whose mission is to unite the community of special operations veterans with the world of marine conservation for the betterment of both. I'm pumped for you guys to meet Gonzo on this episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast. Gonzo, my brother, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Woke up breathing. That's the hardest part of the day. You know, everything else is gravy. After you, that. <laughs> when you wake up on the right side of the dirt. That's right. As long as I'm looking down at the flower bed and not up, it's a good day. You know? So check so this so. out, Gonzo. Man, I'm thrilled to have you. I'm excited, man. You bring a ton of energy. A guy from New Orleans is always going to bring a ton of passion <laughs> and excitement. I yes, was. Sir. We just passed the one-year mark for this humble podcast we've been building, 86 episodes deep in the first year. And I reached out uh, to some friends who got me to my friend, Tom Mulliken, who's been on the show. We said, I said, mm-hmm. Tom, I'm looking for somebody to kick off year two of this thing. That's going to bring some energy. He's like, I got a guy. And that's you. <laughs> hey, and it's Mardi Gras season too. So, you know, I mean, Hey, that Tuesday's going to be here before we know it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's meant to be. We, yes, uh, we can talk when we get offline about maybe getting some King cake up here. In North Carolina, I got a couple of shops to make them, but it's nothing like getting it from the great state of Louisiana. No, sir. No, sir. Yeah, I, I know a guy. I know you do. <laughs> I believe you do. We're going to find the baby and everything. Man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> so Gonzo, Steve, man, let's get to know you a little bit. Tell me about your path uh, to not just the Navy, but right to the teams, because well, it's a little bit of a different journey that got you there. Right. And we've had yes, some sir. incredible team guys who have been on the show, you know, great friends of our show uh, right. in Green Berets like Lowell Copper and then team guys, SEAL team guys specifically and Ray Cash, Eli Crane, Will Branham. I've just been, man, honored to have conversations with those guys and really pumped about what Eli's got going on in his campaign. Mm-hmm. But what led Eli's you to fantastic. life? Oh, he's so good, man. So he good. Is, uh, yeah. So good. Yeah, what led is. you to life in the, in the Navy? So uh, I knew um, my journey was kind of odd that uh, I knew at 14 that I was joining the Navy. Like I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, I grew up, my, my grandmother lived with us when I was growing up and she would watch the older movies, you know, the, uh, you know, the John Waynes and the Jeff Chandlers yeah, and the guys yeah. traveling the world and seeing the world. And I said, you know, that's what I want to do. I don't want to just read about Paris. I want to go. I don't want to read about Italy. I want to go. So I knew that that's what I was going to do. So I graduated. 
actually, I, I enlisted while I was still in high school in the late, the late entry program and uh, on the buddy program. I was going to go with a buddy of mine and uh, we signed up in October on the Navy's birthday, as a matter of fact. And then come July, I graduated high school. And then come July 6th, uh, they picked me up. They wanted to pick my buddy up. And he said, I've changed my mind. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, and I was 17. I mean, I was, I was baby. And they looked at me and said, what do you want to do? I was like, I'm going. Go. Yeah, yeah. So they all, oh, let, let's give them a couple of weeks. So I went back home, told my family and they go, hey, no problem. Same thing. Pick me up July 26, 1982. They go to his house. I don't want to go. And they looked right at me. I said, let's do it. So went to San Diego, which is now. Do you guys still keep in touch or was that pretty much I the saw, end of that road? I saw him at a high school reunion. I've only been to like two. Yeah. I went to my 15 year and just recently to my 35th because I'm an old wow. part. Yeah. Damn. And uh, when I saw him at the 15 year, he said, man, you know, I really wish I would have done that. And I was like, I mean, everybody's path is different, yeah. right? It is. He's it also is. probably yeah. like, well, it worked out pretty well for him. I mean, too. Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the right so, path for yeah. you. Yeah. It, yeah. Yes, sir. So, uh, yeah, so I went to boot camp in San Diego. Um, what year was, was this? Take, remind me where we're at. Sorry. 1982. Okay. 1982. Yes, sir. So I went to boot camp there um, and then uh, went to my, my A school, my apprenticeship school. I, I started off as a machinery repairman, machinist. Uh, which I had taken in high school, trade school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, that was kind of a, a passion. And that was my intent was like, hey, four years, get a good trade, get some experience, move back to New Orleans, become a machinist, live, live out my life in New Orleans. Um, but I was really enjoying the Navy. I was really, you know, getting and traveling on my first two years. I was in Italy, yeah. got to go all over the place. And then I reenlisted. And uh, right after I reenlisted, some guys came on my ship. They didn't look like us. They didn't act like us. And I said, man, who are those guys? And they go, well, those are SEALs. I was like, what the hell is a SEAL? And they said, well, go talk to them. So I went and talked to them and I said, that's the job for me. So, but it took me a while. It took some time because uh, my job was undermanned. So big mm-hmm. Navy wasn't ready to let me go. So it took quite a few, quite a few years for it to get approved. Um, actually separated, went into the reserves for a couple of years. Came back in, went to Buds at the young age of 32. Wow. So that's what I meant by that uncommon path. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You were talking about being an old fart. They must have been ragging you at that age. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. I mean, I I got called grandpa. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Like, hey, what was Korea like? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's, you know, because and I'm sure you've heard every, you know, every path is different. You know, Eli was much younger. And I listened to Eli's, uh, you know, your conversation with Eli. And uh, yeah, his path, everybody's different. Um, Where he mentioned that he was maybe a little immature. I was, my body suffered a little bit at 32 years old, but Mm -hmm. mentally I was 32. So I was like, come on, fellas. I, you know, I got, I know what you're saying. Like, oh, we're going to stay in this, we're going to stay in this water until somebody quits. I'm like, no, we're going to stay in this water until the time limit hits. And then we're going to get up. And, you know, so it was a little, I don't want to say it was easier for me. It was, no, you uh, just were in a different mental space than a younger yes, guy that, yeah, you just had a different yes, life sir. experience in front of you. Yes, sir. Yeah. And, what, and, or uh, what year, what year was that? That was uh, 1997. Okay. So yeah, I was, uh, I started off in Bud's class two seven, uh, excuse me, 215. Uh, and I actually rolled my hip flexors uh, during hell week, but I was like, this is my one shot. I'm not quitting. I'm sure not getting med drop. So I powered through uh, the rest of hell week and then I got medical rolled a couple of, uh, a couple of classes. And then eventually graduated with class 218. And, um, and it was wonderful because uh, I, got to, I got to come back east, 
which um, everybody wants to serve differently. I was, uh, I, I, I kind of knew the East Coast. I was in the mm -hmm. East Coast in the regular Navy. And uh, I had a lot of friends who were at the teams and they showed up at SEAL Team 2 in 98. And uh, that's when all the fun started. So uh, yeah, it was yeah. a good time. Yeah. yeah, Man, so late 90s. It's not but a few years after that, right, that you're in the teams and building that uh, that career when on that fateful Tuesday day, the world changes forever, right? Yes, Tuesday, sir. Uh, September the 11th, uh, 2001. Mm -hmm. And so you're able to see special operations life, specifically in the Navy, on the SEAL teams pre and post. Yes, sir. Would you mind giving us just a little comparison as to what times, we all know what times are mm -hmm. like after that, but... What was it like before that? And a little just comparison point for us. I'm just interested from your perspective. Sure, sure. So there's a plaque on the back of SEAL Team 2 and it says, are you ready for war today? You should be. And that was the mentality. Like you needed it because we were at peacetime on September 10th. Mm -hmm. And that's what I try to tell the younger guys when I talk to them, like, look, man, you need to be ready today, not when it hits. So at, at the teams, we were always training, always preparing. And there were other missions that we were doing because you have what's known as conflicts other than war. Mm -hmm. So the teams were still engaged with, with things all around the world, protecting our national interests. But you were always training, always training. And I never forget, it was a Tuesday, Tuesday, September 11th, because we, had, we would do a two-mile ocean swim and a three-mile run. So you would swim in the ocean, get up, run back to the team. And uh, we did that. And uh, we were doing some training, internal training in the building. And uh, the first plane hit. And it was like, oh, my God, what a terrible accident. Second mm -hmm. plane hit. We knew right then and there. We knew exactly what was happening. And the team is like a light switch. Everybody was in a whole different frame of mind. And we were preparing, preparing because we knew inevitably that uh, where we were going to be heading and what we we're going to be doing. Mm. Yes, sir. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, yeah. It, you know, it's, it's those, those fateful moments where everything kind of gets flipped on its head. But what's incredible is you're always preparing and staying ready yes, for – God only knows what could happen. None of us expected that to be the case on that day. So after that, right, the experience from that day moving forward, because nothing was really ever the same again. Uh, no, what sir. was your experience like? So, uh, you know, you had the original guys that went in, the horse soldiers, fantastic mm -hmm. guys. They went in, did a magnificent job. Uh, and then we had other forces going in, uh, doing their things. Uh, and then we deployed shortly thereafter. And uh, I ended up being uh, deployed out of Kandahar and doing other things and was actually in Afghanistan for the one year anniversary of nine 11. And, uh, it was, it was very eerie being on that base because we knew what we're there for, but we also knew the significance of that day. Mm -hmm. And everybody was mission focused, regardless of there were special operations or conventional forces or whatever, everybody was mission focused because we wanted to, uh, you know, we wanted to hold those uh, responsible accountable and that's what we were doing. So it was great to great to be able to be a part of that, um, along with everybody else. Once again, I mean, uh, it wasn't just the SEAL teams. I mean, you had ODA guys that I was working with, yeah. you know, Air Force pararescue, combat controllers, uh, some of which, of course, this is the crazy part about special operations. People that I met in our little chow hall years later, just kind of shooting the breeze and everything, and just talking, talking, talking about a PJ or a CCT and and then you're like, hey, I was there too. And then you, re you realize that you were serving all that time ago, all for the same mission, all for our country, for, um, you know, to do what was needed. So uh, it was, it was, it was nice. It's nice knowing that that I was a part of that. 
honored to be with some of the men that I served with because uh, I'm a firm believer, and you've heard me say this, that he who talks the most is usually done the least. There are some guys, uh, guys and gals, who have done some amazing things, uh, both in Afghanistan, Iraq, and around the, around the world, uh, who you'd never know about because uh, they're the true quiet professional. So uh, yeah. I'm honored to be uh, associated with those individuals. I know you're incredibly humble. You know, we spoke the other day. Said, "Look, man, I'm not, I'm not big into like getting on and talking about all the different gnarly stuff I've done and firefights I've been in." And, and I love that about you, man. It's it's an incredible, uh, it's a credible way to view it. You know, you think back to, we're so fortunate, man. We started this thing a year ago. Our second guest was Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Spanky Peterson, who flew the Pave Hawk helicopter that picked up Marcus Luttrell, and and mm-hmm. he had such an amazing story to tell. Uh, because Marcus is quite frankly, this sort of larger than life character, mm-hmm. uh, a great man, right. But larger than life character. Uh, and, and Spanky is a part of that mission. And I've been very fortunate to meet other people who have connections to Red Wings who are like, Oh yeah, I was this, or I was this part of it. And like, mm-hmm. to your point, right. They just find those opportunities to find folks that were involved in these incredible moments that then get, you know, immortalized on film and all these mm-hmm. different things along Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and once again, the connection to special operations, um, uh, Jacques uh, Fontaine, who was, you know, was killed during Red Wing, yeah. uh, was a great friend of mine. Uh, both of us were from New Orleans. And uh, this is this is when SEAL Team 10 was just coming on board. Uh, so we would meet every Monday because after the Saints would play on Sunday. And this is when the Saints sucked. You know, so you we would meet every, yeah. yeah, Sarah. Yeah. So you have to remember that's like pre-Sean Payton and pre-Drew Brees. So we would meet yeah, they were they, they were the ain'ts. Oh, yes, sir. And we would meet and we were like, God, did you see that game? What a terrible game. Uh, you know, and, and it was just you know a fun, fun connection. So so Jacques deploys, um is is killed, and uh, but he and I made a pact that hey, if something happened, you know, we we're gonna notify each other's uh, widow. So mm. I was the Keiko for Jacques and I had to go to Shaw and notify her because originally he, they were all uh, missing in action, presumed dead. And then, cause there was a recovery going on and a, a lot of the recovery guys are, are friends. Was of mine, he, he was know? on the, he was on the bird. He was on the rescue bird. Yeah. Yes, sir. So, and then the bird was shot down, uh, but they were recovering their bodies. Um, and then once they located all of them, then I had to go back again, two days later and let Shaw know that, you know, but they had, they had in fact found him. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's people say, well, what's the hardest thing you ever did as a seal yeah. that right there, that right there, notifying my friend's wife that he's not coming home again. Uh, I say that full circle because, you know, you talk about Marcus and Spanky and, and everybody else. So many people contributed to that mission that people won't ever know about other than the team guy huddle when we're at, you know, at a reunion or an event and, you know, team guys, we're going to get in our little huddle and we're going to have our big watches and our spider codes and our beers. And, uh, and Hey man, yeah, that was a great job. Great job. You know, good stuff. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, just wanted I mean, to throw that out there, so. That's why I was, wa- <laughs> I told the story last week. Um, I was watching the movie one night randomly and I watched the moment where the helicopter pilot and Spanky said, this didn't really happen in real life, but it makes for a good part of the movie he sort of looks over his shoulder and looks at Marcus Mark Wahlberg before they mm-hmm. take off. And I was like, Who, who's that dude? Who's mm-hmm. that guy? I want to know who that guy is. I want to talk to that guy mm-hmm. who went and grabbed him. Yeah. Incredible Americans, man. Let me ask you this last thing, sort of on the, on the military career front. It's uh, it's a, we're living in a tough time right now, right? Where 
things are rather divisive and sort of all these things are on this world stage and, and even separate from this, what's going on in Ukraine today and what's happened in the last year with Afghanistan. There, there's, there's, I don't know, there's just been a weird feel about how we're sort of getting yanked apart about things. Mm-hmm. Share with our listeners, if you don't mind, the incredible fighting force that is the American military that you've seen on display uh, in your combat tours. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And I can go all the way back to uh, pre, pre-SEAL teams that, I, that at any time that I served from 1982 to when I retired in 2016, I never worried about if I was in a firefighter, if I was doing something, I never looked at the next guy and said, hey, man, are you a Democrat? Are you an independent? Are you black? Are you Jewish? Whatever. It's like, hey, man, you are my brother. Mm-hmm. I am your brother. Let's deploy and let's get the job done. And that's the one thing. If people can remember one thing is that our military is ba- is has is built up, uh, built with the most amazing people who have a call to serve. I want to serve my country. I want to do everything that I can, I can to protect my country. And that's where we separate everything else. And we're just mission focused, get the job done. But most importantly, America first, you know, and that we, we do that on and off the battlefield. And that's why you'll see people who SEALs, Green Berets, PJs, regular military, uh, or I should say conventional forces mm-hmm. who serve in the battlefield, but then they come home and they're ushers at church or they're little league baseball coaches, or they're, uh, you know, con- considering about getting involved in government, you know, to once again, raise my hand and lead from the front. So uh, that's, if, if people can remember that, that regardless of what's going on, we have the best equipped, best motivated uh, individuals serving in our military. And then if people wonder like, because, you know, right now, with, and I say the millennials, you know, oh, the millennials, my daughter's 17. She hates when I say that. Yeah. I've, I've spoken to corporations. And, uh, and one of the things I ask them, I say, hey, give me some of the problems that you're having with some of the people you're hiring. Well, they're unmotivated. They can't dress co- accordingly. They're never on time. They can't pass a urinalysis test. I say, well, what if I tell you there's a whole pool of people who are motivated, will be there 15 minutes early, dress for the day definitely going to be drug free, you know, definitely be motivated. And also we're eager to learn. What if I told you you have that pool? Like, Oh man, that'd be amazing. I'm like, why don't you contact your local veterans and, and mm-hmm. reach out and, and get some of those people transitioning who uh, have probably served our nation and are just looking for a way to, to continue to serve. Yeah. And I got to think you're close to that. We're seeing a lot more of that in transitioning out. You, know, you think about how long uh, these last conflicts have been specifically Afghanistan it's 20 years. You got guys that are, yes, are meeting time or, or just regular transitioning out at other points that mm-hmm. are, that are now being thrust into, into their communities, right. Outside of that military service. Yes, I think it's why, you know, guys like Eli, or we had Eric Holman on uh, combat controller in the air force, right. Running in Texas. I think that's why they're looking around saying, I got some tread left on these tires. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna find a way to, uh, to continue to give back. And maybe it's to go up to Washington and, and change the makeup of what it looks like to run on people that have been up there for 50, 60 years all the time. <laughs> something, yes, sir. Something about yes, that. Sir. It just doesn't, I mean, it's about that stuff. Right. Right. But also, you know, the old phrase, if not me, who, who, if, if not, not now, now when, when? Yes. yes, sir. Yes, sir. And if you look at the makeup of, of our leaders, um, how many have served in the military, you know, this, they're elected to represent our population. Well, how many of how many people in that group, represent the military population, the veteran population, very, very little. So we need to have more veterans serving in Congress and, and other places, uh, you know, to represent the military population because 
if you've served in the military, your concerns are a little different than the average American, than your civilian American. And those should be reflected as well in Congress. And like I said, in other other places in, in our government. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think there's something important about having people who have that service before self just etched on their heart to go mm-hmm. into those kinds of of leadership roles. I mean, even, you know, CEOs of companies and, you know, just involved in community and, you know, and if politics is the next fray for them, then great, you know, let's get, let's get more. Let's get them on both sides of the aisle. Yes, sir. Let's get more of it happening there. That's, Mm -hmm. that's for sure, man. Thanks for sharing all that. And for giving that perspective, man, I really appreciate it. I want to talk about this incredible thing you guys have going at at Forest Blue. And before we do that, tell me about the first time you got to meet Tom Mulliken and just (laughs) your impressions of that hard charger. So I met him in uh, in Miami. We were doing a dive called the hundred a project called the Hundred Yards of Hope, where we planted a oh. hundred yards of coral for the for the anniversary or for the Super Bowl, excuse me. And uh, he came on a dive. He and his son came on a dive, and I can tell, like, you know how his voice is. You know, he's got mm-hmm. that southern. He is like when I think of southern gentlemen, that's him. You know, like literally, yes, sir, yes, sir. So I heard his voice first, and of course, being from the south, you know, I'm like, all right. Got another Southerner here, you know, and, and uh, just the way he carries himself and how, I mean, just smart is, is, is even putting him out. Uh, just he's intelligent, but he doesn't like he's not like, you know, arrogant about it. Like you can tell he's easily one of the smartest people in the room. And uh, just a joy to be around with him and, and just his infectious personality, his, his infectious attitude. Uh, one of my favorite phrases is, is attitudes are infectious, good mm-hmm. or bad. And his is um, he's just a positive person. And just once again, a can-do kind of guy. I mean, he's, he's like, see problem, fix problem, or get out of my way as I fix the problem. Yeah. So that, that's what I, I learned about him. And uh, we just started talking and, you know, and of course his service. I mean, you don't get to be a major general uh, by being a knucklehead. Uh, so, you know, so he's a, a great guy and uh, just developed a friendship. And there's that phrase, real knows real. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could tell within, within talking five to ten, 10 minutes with this gentleman, that, that he's real and uh, he, and uh, hopefully he, you know, he, he thought the same thing about me. So that's why we've kind of developed a friendship and uh, he's definitely somebody, a mentor that I have no problems asking for advice from. Yes, yeah. sir. Yeah, absolutely. If you guys are new to the podcast and maybe haven't been with us uh, the entire last year, he was episode 61, Tom Mulligan. We called it action and acceleration. You talked about see a problem meet a problem. The man was literally met with two problems is right in his left foot. Uh, and he had some real physical challenges that he had to overcome at an early age. Uh, and just a great guy. So I would draw your attention to that episode to go check it out. And so part of your relationship and part of what else we want to talk about is this idea of this force blue. And I want to just read the mission again, because mm-hmm. I think it's so incredibly unique. I don't know if I've heard of anything like this ever before. So the mission of force blue is to unite the community of special operations veterans. So you got all these special op guys mm-hmm. with the world of Marine conservation for the betterment of both. So what are you guys doing there? So what we do is we take green berets, uh, seals, PJs, CCTs, Rangers, uh, you name it. And we're working with scientists on a, a wide variety of, of uh, scientific projects, planting the coral. Uh, we just did a kelp mission out in Los Angeles. We've done sea turtle assessments where we'll go down. It's called sea turtle wrangling. If ever there is a phrase that that truly fits, it's sea turtle wrangling. Yeah. So we'll go down. You bring the sea turtles up, and then you and then the scientists are there and they check them out because unfortunately, with pollution and climate change, things that like that, they're susceptible to uh, to diseases and tumors and 
plastics, you know, because mm-hmm. we're, we're the worst, uh, you know, so we'll bring them up and the scientists check them out, uh, draw some blood. Sometimes they'll tag them to make sure they can track them. And then we re-release them uh, back into the marine environment. So you have all of that. Uh, and we have more projects coming and more missions coming down the line. Uh, and it's a great way because you have two different groups. You have scientists, and then you have special ops. And you know how we are. Once again, we're coming in, big watch, flip-flops, like, hey, there's a problem, let's fix it. And you have scientists who are like, who the hell are these guys? And it's pretty neat to see us within 10, 15 minutes, a mutual appreciation. Yeah. Uh, because because would they know that regardless of the conditions, you know, we're going to go after it. We're going to get it and, and uh, do what they need us to do. So it's pretty neat. But also there's that, that mutual understanding and mutual appreciation because a lot of the team guys are really increasing their intellectual capital in regards to the marine environment marine conservation and things that you would never think of, uh, you know, coral reefs and, and uh, learning all about coral, learning all about species of fish uh, and how, uh, how we, the population, uh, are impacting it, both good and bad. Yeah. Naturally, there's going to be competition. So mm-hmm. if you've got seals and green berets and CCTs and these other guys, I mean, who's bringing the most sea turtles back up to the top? <laughs> You know, I don't want to rub raw any of my fellow Force Blue operators by reminding them that seals are the best. But I, you know, I won't say that. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, no, it, you know, it, it's it's funny because you would think that there's that competition. Mm-hmm. Really, there's only that competition when we're drinking beers and, and telling stories and telling yeah, jokes yeah, yeah. about each other. But uh, you know, you get the, you, it just you come together and you and you do the mission and you bring it up. You know, you just bring those turtles up and everything. But like anything else, there is a competition. We're going to have, you know, we'll have fun. And, and we're going to make, and it's funny because we'll make fun of each other. Like, you know, there'll be a PJ joke or an army joke or a Navy joke, you know, stuff like that. And the scientists are off to the side, like, what is wrong with these guys? Do they hate each other? And we're like, no, man, that's just, that's how we are. You know, we, we just tease each other, make the day go by, embrace the suck, you know? Yeah. So, um, Hey, it, it, but it's they're a like, lot of- uh, uh, sir, I've noticed about 10 to 15 uh, HR violations in the last oh. hour. With these yes, guys. sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, the movie uh, Old School Earmuffs, you know, like, mm-hmm. like you know, the earmuffs. Mm-hmm. But uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, we're the military. We're in, mm-hmm. in special ops, you know, we're, we're even the worst offenders. But uh, but you're having fun. You know, you're having fun and nobody takes offense to it. And before you know it, some of the scientists are kind of getting in on it, too. Because it's that's so out of their norm. They're mm-hmm. they're used to being in the scientific environment and, and dealing with that. Well, now they're with us and they're like, wait a minute, I can I can let my hair down, I can have some fun. And these guys are fun. They're not as intimidating yeah, as I yeah. thought, you know. And and uh and then the, the stories go back and forth because we're just as eager to learn about what they're doing and their careers, you know, as they are to learn about ours. And and uh, and they learn quickly, like, hey, all right, I probably can't ask that question, or I probably shouldn't have asked that question. You know, because like, once again, you know, he does, he's done the most talks at least. So, um, you know, they, they kind of realize that and it, it's a great, it is a great, great relationship and one that we're continuing to build upon with each and every mission that we do. Join the Navy. You join the Navy for the chance to see the world, but I have to imagine that this opportunity is taking you to some incredible places. So take us on some of those journeys, man. Where have you been throughout this incredibly important work? So my first one was in, uh, in Key Biscayne and all the diving that I had done was closed circuit. Everything was closed circuit. So I, you know, you, you don't want to see bubbles, bubbles are the enemy. You don't want to say, so my first dive was down there planting some coral 
And uh, it was amazing. First off, I had clear visibility. The water was warm. It was during the day. Everything that I had not done all around mm-hmm. the world where you're diving at two o'clock in the morning, freezing cold, pitch of night, you know, this much visibility right here. So it was, it was really neat. But what was really amazing about it was that you, as I planted that coral, you went back to get another piece of coral. And by the time you came back, there was already marine life, already small fish or whatever, wow. just already feeding off of it. Yes, sir. And swimming around it, like investigating, like, hey, what's going on over here? So to see your impact right then and there at that moment, that fast was truly moving. And as corny as it sounds, I was, I was very moved because I'd never, I never, you see some of the things you've done in your military career, but to see it that instantaneous right then and there was truly, was truly moving and also gratifying because uh, that's my legacy now, you know, my legacy in the SEAL teams is things that I've done, but my 17 year old daughter, uh, now she can say, hey, yeah, you know, my dad was part of that. My dad worked on, mm-hmm. on, on, you know, repairing that and uh, it's encouraging her. She wants to now get certified and then hopefully uh, do a dive with me uh, someday. So it's pretty neat. Pretty neat. That is, yes, that's, re- that's really cool. Yes, what what is, what is the average listener not know about what's happening below the surface and how important it is to the conservation of our entire globe? Well, the average listener needs to realize and understand that we humans are the worst offenders. Like we are the worst because, and some of it might, might not be intentional, but a lot of it is plastics, uh, you know, chemicals, things like that, washing your car and all that stuff, things you never thought about. That's all going to our waterways. You know, especially the plastics. You'd be amazed at the plastic and the mm. trash that we see. Uh, we did a, one of the dive missions was in Anna Maria, Anna Maria Island um, down there in Tampa. And it was just a pier. And it was just a, like, hey, it's a pier. Let's go. We're just going to go clean up and we'll look and see if there's trash there. You'd be amazed at what we found. Fishing nets, fishing lines. Okay. Crab traps. That's the norm. You know, some of those derelict yeah. toilet seats. Not one or two. Why is it here? 20. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All kinds of trash, cans, uh, stuff like that. So uh, especially the plastics, I keep going back to the plastics, but the fish don't know. They don't understand that. They don't know what that is. And then some of the sea turtles that we brought up, they would have the six pack oh, uh, plastic yeah. around their, around a little fin, you know? So uh, I think something that people need to say, okay, understand is what can I do now? Like think globally, act locally. If you go to the beach, you're having a good time, take your last 15 minutes, maybe walk up and down with a plastic bag and pick up some trash. Not going to not gonna take you that much. Or maybe even better, do 22 minutes. The number 22 is significant for, you know, from the veteran community with our suicides. So maybe take 22 minutes, one minute for every veteran who commits suicide daily and say, okay, I'm going to do 22 minutes. Take your kids, educate them and say, hey, look, this is what you do. So when you go to the beach, when you're in high school or college or later on, take 22 minutes and clean up and honor our veterans who have sacrificed so much. Oh man, I love it. It's a call to action that folks can start implementing tomorrow, right? Yes, sir. And just maybe yes, just sir. be a bit more aware about what our impact looks like. And you think, well, oh, I'm just one person in this whole thing. Yeah, but all that stuff stacks up and maybe somebody sees you doing the mm-hmm. same thing. Maybe somebody sees you picking up trash. Okay. Right. And then that, you know, yeah, influences yeah, them a little bit. It's right, easy right. as that. Yes, sir. Yeah, because somebody's going to see, hey, man, what are you doing? Hey, you know, I'm taking 22 minutes and I'm walking the beach, just picking up trash, 22 minutes, 22 veterans, suicide. Now I'm bringing awareness to two things. I'm bringing awareness to taking care of our environment, but also honoring our 22 and then getting more involved. Maybe, hey, let me research about those 22 veterans. How can I help them? How can I, you know, so 
uh, to, you know, so yeah, help spread the word. And I'm a firm believer in leading by example, you know, just like our other guys, Eli and the other guys, you know, lead by example, uh, you know, so what better way to do it than, than, than do it yourself. And then some, hopefully somebody sees it and wants to do it themselves as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right. Tell us where folks can learn more about the great work you guys are doing their website and places. Yes, they sir. Can just check it out. Forcebluteam.org is uh, www.forcebluteam.org. Uh, they can check out our social media. Of course, we have Facebook and Instagram, Force Blue. And uh, yeah, check it out. We post our missions on there. We, we post what we've done and what we're going to do. And they can learn more. Uh, if not, they can't do all that. Can't figure all that out. Steve, which is my real name. Nobody calls me unless they're selling me. They want to sell me an extended warranty on my car. Steve, which believe you me, they do. <laughs> I can guarantee you. Have, find you. Have one. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Steve at forcebluteam.org. Uh, they can shoot me an email. I'll reply back and uh, let them know like, hey, this is, this is what we're doing, how you can help us. Uh, because we are a nonprofit. We, we work off of donations and um, no, no bucks, no buck Rogers to quote the, the book, the right stuff. Um, you know, so we need the support of the American people uh, who want who to uh, support us because it's a great mission. A lot of guys uh, are truly enjoying it and uh, we'd love to have people support and also just, or just find out more about us. Yeah. Guys, let's pick up their six a little bit, head over to their website, uh, give them a donation and support the great cause. Cause they're doing really incredible work uh, to leave this place a little bit better than the way we found it. Right. And, and to maybe repair some damage that we've un- unmittingly done. Gonzo, my yes, man, sir. it's been great to get to know you and, and share your story a little bit and hang out today. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. And God bless you all. You too, man. He's Steve Gonzalez, better known as Gonzo. I'm Brian Jodis. And this has been Pick Up the Six Podcast.